Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Let's turn this week to Yochanan Aleph, 1 John, and we are in chapter 1. But before we get into the text, I do have a couple of um, announcements. We do get a few requests, and they've been increasing, for me to come travel all over the place, in fact, sometimes even out of the country to come and um, teach and whatnot. But realistically, it, it's really not feasible at this point in the ministry with so, so much going on here and um, just, just our growth level. But we do have a venue that we would like to make available. Um, it's called Adobe Connect. And we want to thank Dan and Joan for that. But it's a great venue where I think up to, what, 100 people can be online at once. And um, we are going to start using that as a venue for those of you that are national and international in scope. And I believe we're going to begin this week on Tuesday. We're going to have um, a venue 6 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Well, I'll be hosting um, an Adobe Connect meeting with um, those that reside in Texas, Oklahoma, and Louisiana. That's kind of catfish country where you're from, isn't it? So um, keep it kosher. But we are going to be um, having a venue this Tuesday at 6 o'clock. So does it just go geographically? Is that how it works? Oh, that's how we're rolling it out. Okay, so I think we're going geographic regions um, to start off. What FEMA region is that? (laughs) Whatever, we're going to be in that FEMA region. We're going to go by FEMA regions in the FEMA region right there in Louisiana. So I'm going to be putting myself in the hot seat, and we're going to have um, fellowship, discussion, question, and answers. So seating is limited to 100 Info at TorahToTheTribes.com if you want to um, get the link to that and you're interested. And uh, Adobe Connect. I'm getting a little bit of feedback up here, actually, just a tad. Um, Also, we've got Sukkot coming up um, here very... I mean, it's going to be upon us before we know. So we have Sukkot, Oregon. But since um, we started this at the beginning of the year, we now have a Sukkot, Texas... Torah to the tribe Sukkot in Texas. Um, where is that in Texas? Okay, I need to get the FEMA regions for all of these places. I just feel a lot more comfortable if I have the FEMA regions because that really is the reality that we live in, right? I mean, come on, gone is the day when states had some kind of sovereignty. Now I don't have enough sound up here. I'm being really picky today. And we also are going to have Sukkot North Carolina, whatever FEMA region that is. So we've got Sukkot, North Carolina. And if you want to sign up and be a part of those festivals, then Eventbrite Torah to the Tribes is the um, location to be able to sign up and get information and registered for Sukkot, Texas, Sukkot, North Carolina, and Torah to the Tribes, Sukkot, Oregon. If you get confused, you can always harass Brother John and Steve at info at com and shoot them an email. 
So, anyway, let's jump right into Yochanan Aleph, 1 John. Last week, chapter 1, if you remember, was the introduction. I like to do the introductions. And we discovered last week that this was the Yochanite community. This was a community of faithful believers that were adhering to the orthodox Bessorah, the gospel that was delivered by Yahushua to Yochanan, and he then delivered it to that community. And they were a group of communities around the region of Ephesus. But there were those that were once with them, but had departed from the faith and were going after docetism and various Gnostic heresies at the time. And this group of individuals that were once with them, but then departed from the faith, were known as, we call them the secessionists. The secessionists. So as we begin the first chapter this week, it opens up with a preamble concerning the word of life. The word of life. And then Yochanan addresses the very claims of the secessionists. Because they were claiming that they knew Yahuwah. That they knew Yahuwah, but their claims to know Yahuwah are to be tested by their attitudes towards sin. And there's two Hebrew words for to know. And remember it says... Yahushua tells you that at the end of the days, many are going to come and say, Oh, but Master, we did this, we did that, we did signs, wonders, miracles in your name. And he's going to say to them what? I did not know you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. A, nomia, those of you who are not keeping the commandments in the Torah of Yahweh, anomia, without Torah. So there's two different words in the Hebrew to know. There's da'at, which is like experimental knowledge. Oh yeah, sure, you know Jesus. You sing songs to him all the time. I remember when I first got saved, and I started to share with my heathen friends that I got saved. And do you know what the response was? From like drug addicts and womanizers and just people that, you know, I'd been walking hand in handed in iniquity with. Oh, yeah, I know Jesus. Yes, because many of those people grew up in England where you are raised in the Church of England. There is no separation of church and state. You have Bible class as part of the school curriculum. Everybody knows Jesus. It's part of the culture. It's called da'at, experimental knowledge, like you take from the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. You experiment. But that's not what we're talking about here, because there's another Hebrew word, which is yada, which means an intimate kind of knowledge, like a man who knows his wife. That's what Yahushua requires of us. He requires that we be the bride and that we know him intimately. And if we know him intimately, our heart is going to be turned towards keeping his commandments and thus walking in the light. But those that just want to experience him, well, you can experience him without keeping his commandments, but you don't really know him, yada, 
intimately as the bride. That's the distinction that is made. So now we're looking at the claims of the secessionists. Yeah, sure, they da'at. They knew of the master, but they didn't yada intimately know him. So Yochanan's purpose from the very outset is to strengthen the community's commitment to what they already know. And that's what we're doing here, to strengthen your commitment to what you already know. You may have forgotten it because you've got affected by the culture or maybe that you haven't been in the word as much as you should have. But we're going to strengthen your commitment to what you already know as believers. And there's really three temporal junctures to which Yochanan is writing this homily. Because it's really a sermon, a homily. Number one, he's dealing with these three temporal junctures. The epoch, number one, the epoch of Yahushua's existence and incarnation here on earth. He's addressing when Yahushua walked here on earth. That's the first juncture. The second juncture is the epoch when witnesses came into contact with Yahusha. He's going to address what these witnesses have to say when they physically came into contact with Yahusha. And the third juncture he's going to address is the epoch of these letters when they were read to the communities or sermonized as a homily to the community and what the community's actual response to them were. He who was from Bereshit. Bereshit, the beginning. We know that that is translated or transliterated into Genesis, but we're going to go back to Bereshit, the book at the beginning. What a great place to start. He who was from Bereshit, whom we have heard, whom we have seen with our eyes, that which we did behold and our hands have handled we declare to you that he is the Torah of Chaim. He's the word of life. So now we're going to find five descriptions or facts about this Torah of Chaim, this word of life. Number one, that which was from the beginning. And of course, this is written in the Greek and it comes across in the Greek, Choen Ap Arches. And it, its parallel is found in the fourth gospel, the gospel of John. What do we hear in the gospel of John? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with Yah. And we see the parallel right here. And in the fourth gospel, it comes across very similar in the Greek. En arche en ho logos. So we have that similar phrase in the Greek. Between the two with the arches. The arches, whether it's in the first John or in the gospel of John, we have this similarity because we're talking about time before creation of the world in the gospel of John. But in Yochanan Aleph, the word of life has actually become incarnate and walked amongst us. We're talking about the incarnation. The transcendent has actually become palpable, that you're actually imminent, able to reach out and touch him. This is a huge thing for the audience at that time. The divine has made himself corporal 
and historical to a people. And then number two, that which we have heard. That's which we have heard. Now, chapter 1, verse 1, makes it clear that this is a first-hand hearing and a proclamation of the Master. But did you really hear that? What did he say? I'm not sure if I really heard that, right? Out of all of the senses, what's the one sense that you can easily dismiss the quickest? What's the one sense that you all dismiss the quickest? Did he really? He did, he did not just say that, right? Is hearing. Easy to dismiss, is it not? We dismiss other people, although you crazy guys hearing voices again, right? Don't we? And then the guys in the back, they're like, did he really just say that? That's what these guys have been saying for the past month. Coming up, did you really just say that? Hearing is the most easily discounted perception. So what does Yochanan do? He gives us multiple witnesses of human perception. He gives us multiple witnesses of human perception, which brings a legal Torah binding force about what he's testifying. Oh, it's not just what he heard. Now he's going to put a binding legal Torah force behind it. Because we know, Romans chapter 10, verse 17, emunah, faith, comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Yahuwah. So look at here, the third description of the word of life. That which we have seen with our own eyes. This is eyewitness testimony. So even today, when I went back to England recently, I sat down with my brother, and he said to me, all right, a minute or under, you can tell me what you believe, but don't give me a sermon. I was like, what? He's like, I don't want to hear it, but you can tell me for a minute or under. Let's just get it over and done with. This was in the what, first 20 minutes of sitting down. He's got a pint. I've got a sparkly water. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, come on, just get it done minute or under, I'm like, all right. What are you going to tell somebody in under a minute? Are you, going to, are you going to get down into the Paleo-Hebrew? You're going to tell them what? What you have seen, what you have heard, what you have touched, and what you can testify to personally. I don't care what you think. I know him. I have seen him. He has changed my life. You can't take away that testimony. If you've only got a few moments, you're going to share what he's done in your life. Right? And that's exactly what's happening here. Oh, you can go after docetism. You can become Gnostic. All your head knowledge, but... We have seen him. We have touched him. We have heard. We have eyewitness. And we have multiple testimonies in our very midst that this is the true message. What are you going to deal with that? That's what we have today. When all of this is gone, because one day they may confiscate this, it's your testimony. It's your testimony. Your first love. And do you know what my brother's response was? What response do you have to a man that is eyeballing you across the table with all conviction telling you, I know that he is alive because he lives inside of me? (laughs) 
that's about it, right? Yeah, have another drink. You might need a couple more pints. Because you've got nothing, right? How do you come back to that? You cannot argue with somebody's conviction. When Dietrich Bonhoeffer was stripped naked and walked through the rain to the gallows, his testimony was that which he had heard, that which he had seen, that which he had touched. And the Nazis could do nothing but string him up naked. And he lived a life and died a life with that testimony. It's an amazing book. The fourth thing that we see, that which we did behold, the actual seeing with the human eye. The Greek word here is theomai, and it means to be held. It's more than just um, glancing at something, but it's a solemn witness. But the NIV has got it like you had a look. No, it's not that he glanced at him. This is a solemn witness. So the NIV does a real disservice to that translation. It's a solemn witness, not a casual glance as it comes across in the NIV. And the fifth testimony or description of the word of life is that which our hands handled. In the Septuagint, it's predominantly used to denote actual touching with hands. The incarnation manifested and walked amongst us. That is the testimony. Yochanan's first-hand witness is the basis for our fellowship. And our witness, what you've experienced with the Messiah personally, is the basis of our fellowship together. That's it. It's not what you know in your brain. It's what you have witnessed My spirit testifies to the spirit that's inside of you. And then we have community. And then there's others. They're called goats that they come into the midst. And it's all up here, you know. And you're like, okay. My spirit does not testify. But when you are circumcised of heart, you recognize it in somebody. It's a mirror. It's a mirror. And that's exactly what Yochanan is telling with the community. It's like the pass the security card that you can get into the fellowship. Yochanan's first-hand witness is the basis of fellowship as it should be with us. He wants them to continue, and our first-hand witness is Yahusha as he stirs our hearts because we long what for fellowship with him. We long for fellowship with one another. And the counter to this is isolationists. He who isolates himself, is in rebellion. So look at verse 2. And the Chaim was manifested, and we have seen. The life was manifested, and we have seen, and bear witness to, and declare to you that eternal Chaim, eternal life, that was with the Abba, Father, and was manifest to us. We announce to you that which we have seen and heard that we declare to you, that you also may have chavurah, fellowship and friendship with us. And truly, our chavurah, fellowship, is with Abba and his son, Yahusha Hamashiach. You see, today, when we talk about the Malkitzedic priesthood, it is based upon what? The fellowship that we have together with Yahweh the Father through the Kohen Haggadol, the high priest, Yahushua HaMashiach, his son. That's what it's all based upon. The secessionists, they were claiming that they had fellowship with Yahweh, 
but they didn't have fellowship with one another, the community, the Yochanan, Yochanite community. They didn't have fellowship with other believers, those that were belonging to the Yochanite, Malkitzedic community. And Yochanan, he defines fellowship with Yahweh as having fellowship with his community. That is in the Greek, you've all heard it, the koinonia, the fellowship of the community. And what does that mean? You see, we have to look at our faith and our eschatology. Even our eschatology, what we believe in the future about Yahusha as our Messiah. Is that drawing and breeding in us fellowship with Yahusha? Or is it ultimately going to be breeding and drawing in us fellowship with the world? What's the end game of your eschatology? Where does it lead you? And that's what I always tell people when we're talking about the Malkitzedic priesthood. Where does it lead you? What's the end goal? Who's your high priest? Is it going to be breeding fellowship with Yahusha? Or ultimately, will it be breeding fellowship where you'll be standing at the feet of a rabbi and it ain't Yahusha? Can't say ain't, but I did. Anyway, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? We have to look at the koinonia. It's the commitment to a common task, personal relationship, sharing financially, fellowship with each other. And when does it begin? At the beginning of the feastal year, at Passover. That's how we start our fellowship each year, showing up at Passover together, and it culminates in this seventh month where we're all preparing, where shall we go for Sukkot together? And this is how it's supposed to be. This is a testimony to all of us that we are on the right path, the narrow path, because we're in line with the Yokonite community. And the priority of the Father is reflected here as it is with Yokonon's fourth gospel. Look at Yokonon chapter 13, the fourth gospel of John chapter 13 verse 16 and chapter 14 verse 28 you'll see that priority with the father Yahusha is the son and in the Greek the word there is chuyos, the son whereas we are the children Technoin, technoin, meaning techon, marking that there is a fundamental distinction between son and children. And this is where the Jehovah Witness and the Mormons go askew. All sons of God. They don't understand the distinction between the son of Yahuwah and children of Yahuwah. We're the children of Yahuwah. There's a distinction that even comes across here in the language. Now look at verse 4. And these things we write to you that your simcha, your joy, that it may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and we now declare it to you. That Yahuwah, he is light. And in him... There is no darkness at all. Look at verses 6 through 10. 6 through 10. We're going to find now three, three conditional sentences which show Yochanan's understanding of the claims of the secessionists. What were the secessionists claiming? Verses 6 through 10 are going to show us what Yochanan believed the secessionists were claiming. And he's going to address thereby their false teaching. Does that make sense? They are claiming 
some things from verse 6 to verse 10, and he's going to call it out. He's going to show you what they were claiming. Number one, if we say that the, we have Chavurah, fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, he's bringing it out. So what were they saying? They were saying that they had fellowship with him, yet they were walking in darkness. Number two, if we say that we have no sin. And number three, if we say we have not sinned. If we say that we have Havurah with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the emet, the truth. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have Havurah, fellowship with one another, and the dam, the blood of Yahusha Hamashiach, his son cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the emet, the truth, is not in us. If we confess our sins, verse 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. It's a very heavy text if you really look at what is being communicated here. Because the Gnostics at the time, they were looking at Romeo, Romans chapter 6, and they were looking at Romeo, Romans chapter 8, and they were twisting it and perverting it, claiming that they now, in the knowledge of Yahusha, they were without sin. That's what they were doing. But also, the synagogue of Satan, those that say they are Jews and who are not, were also, and this was very prevalent in medieval times when the rabbis would try and tear down the faith that was once delivered to the saints. On the converse, these rabbis and the synagogue of Satan, they would use various texts like Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 13, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 17, Ezekiel chapter 36, 25 through 27. They would use these texts that seem to be pointing that one day when Moshiach truly comes, that there will be no sin. And they were using these verses to say, well, look, Yahushua cannot be the Messiah because there is still sin within the community. So you had two things going on here. You had the Gnostics that believed that Yahushua was the Messiah, yet they were into the Gnosticism and Docetism, believing that he was just a phantom. He didn't really come in the flesh. And they perverted Romans chapter 6 and chapter 8 to say that they were without sin and they never sinned anymore. But then on the other hand, you had the synagogue of Satan that didn't believe he was Messiah, and they used those texts that I cited from Deuteronomy on, saying, well, look, if he was Messiah, you guys would be without sin, and obviously you're not without sin. And that was very apparent even in medieval times in the disputations that would happen they'd say well look Yahushua isn't Messiah because he hasn't ended sin 
using those texts. We had a couple of things going on at the time. Look at the rich young ruler. Why was he discounted? Why was he disqualified? Exactly. He wouldn't allow Yahushua to judge his heart, would he? He said, well, I've done all the commandments. But then Yahushua exposed his heart, that there was sin in it, and he wouldn't allow Yahushua to judge his heart. So the message to us and to the Yokonite community is this. If we are in Yahushua, we have to allow him to judge our heart of sin. And if you do not allow him to judge your heart of sin, then you are no longer in fellowship with him. We have to understand that we are in need and that we will always be in need until we are transformed and transfigured and we go through the fire and then the ashes of the wicked will be under the feet of the righteous. But until that time, we have to allow the master to judge our hearts each and every day. And that is what keeps me going because it's a constant thing, is it not? But it motivates me because it's not as obvious and as huge as some of the things that I have already allowed him to judge my heart of. So I can see that I am getting healed. I am in the process of healing. But I still have to allow him and you still have to allow him to judge your heart. It's very deep, that, that passage, verse 6 through 10, if you really meditate on it. You see, you can't be walking with Yahuwah if you're still walking in darkness. And you can't be proclaiming the word of life if you're not walking in the Torah of Haim, the Torah of life. If you make this claim, you lie, and you aren't living the truth, and you're guilty of the following two offenses. Number one, you're lying about your relationship with Yahuwah because Yahuwah is light and there is no fellowship between light and darkness. The claim to walk with Yahuwah whilst walking in darkness, it's false. Amen. It's false, right? Clear to see. And number two, they were guilty of not doing the truth. The opposite of doing evil Doing the truth means living in the light of truth and seeking to avoid sin daily in your life. You can't claim to know Yahuwah and leave it at that. You just can't. You have to put it into practice and you have to flee from sin. You literally have to, you have to be like, oh, I'm out of here. Right? You do. Yochanan 3.19 And this is the condemnation that light has come into the Olam Hazer, this world. And men love darkness, did they not? You see the parallels in the language between the fourth gospel and the epistles right here? This is from, of course, the fourth gospel. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the Olam Hazer, this world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Who saw Hillary Clinton this week talking, laying her hands on her heart? Oh my goodness. Did you see that? 
scared me. I mean, I'm like, oh, I shook that woman's hand one time. It scared me. It was down in a dark, dank basement. It really was. It really was, yeah. Security, they had blocks. They had blocks blocked off. There was police. There was, um, you know, they got the little earbuds. They had the whole thing locked down. And this was back in the days when I used to ride my bicycle and race my bicycle every day after work. I had a little pen knife on me, too. Well, it's actually, it was quite a meaty knife. It was kind of something like that, you know. <laughs> and um, I had that right on my pocket. <laughs> and um, I knew the back way down. My bicycle was stored in the basement of this building where she had come to do this speech. And they had everything blocked off except for the way I knew to access my bicycle. So I'm like, well, forget this. I've got, I've got a race to get to at 6 o'clock. So um, I go down the back way, through the back door, and I come out, literally, I open this door, and boom, she's right there. And these security guys are like, Whoof, and she just looked at me, and she just scummered at me right like this, and stuck her hand, and you know, anyway. I don't know why I'm telling you that, but anyway, she, she did place her hand on her heart this week. And I think it was in um, relation to something she said about Alex Jones. And uh, that's where I get my super male vitality, if any of you are asking. Anyway, the reason I bring that up is because we're talking about dark places, dark hearts, and wickedness. And it just reminded me of, of Hillary Clinton. <laughs> and I did reach out and touch her. And we did start off this whole teaching about the eyes did witness and the hands did reach out. Well, I touched the devil. <laughs> Incarnate in the 21st century. Crikey, are you even allowed to talk about that stuff? I don't know. Anyway, let's get back on, on to the word of life here. If you make this claim, <laughs> you better back it up. Because these people, they were guilty of not doing the truth. They were not walking in the light. They were walking in the darkness. And we know from the fourth gospel that the light has come into the Olam Hazer. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light. And they neither come into the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he that does emit truth comes into the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are done through Yahweh. Light in the Greek is phos. Darkness in the Greek is skotia or skotos. And they're used a lot more metaphorically in the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, than they are actually used literally. Light and darkness, they're way more used metaphorically. Let's give you some examples in the Gospels. Light and darkness, metaphors for life and death. Even in Acts, they're metaphors for life and death. Metaphors for Yahusha, the light and revelation. You see that in the Gospels. In the writings of Shaul and Yochanan, you see... Um, Good behavior and evil behavior as metaphors, light and darkness, openness and secrecy, truth and lies. We see Yahweh's kingdom, light, 
Satan's kingdom, darkness. And then, of course, punishment and judgment is darkness. And then the glory, transfiguration, of course, in 1 Timothy and Revelation, light. These are the light and darkness figures. And, of course, where does this all come from? It comes from the Torah. And then it climaxes, light and darkness, coming from the Torah, thread through the prophets. And it climaxes in the fourth gospel that I just read to you, Yochanan 3.19, light and darkness. It really, this theme of light and darkness, it permeates through the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament. And here's something very profound, easy to skim over, but really the profundity of it, if you really dwell on what I'm about to say, light and darkness from the Torah to the prophets, now into the Brit Hadashah, what the Tanakh predicates to Yahuwah, the Brit Hadashah predicates to Yahusha as light. And this is done wittingly, wittingly. And this is a testimony to us because it's got huge weight from the Torah to the prophets. What is predicated to Yahuwah is then predicated to Yahusha wittingly. And you can overlook that, but you'd be a fool to overlook it because the weight of Scripture behind it is overwhelming that Yahusha is Yahuwah in the flesh manifest that you can reach out and touch him. It's amazing. Two consequences that we will find in our life of walking in the light. Number one, we have fellowship with one another. And there's this false Christian idea that if you walk in the light, you have your own personal Jesus. Right? Wrong. That's false. And Yochanan clears that up for us. We have fellowship with one another. And our fellowship with one another, that brings us into fellowship with Yahuwah. There is no personal fellowship with Jesus which isn't expressed with the fellowship of the Yochanite community. Because we hold each other accountable to the word, the Torah of Chaim. And without the Torah of Chaim, the Torah of life, in community, you're not held accountable to anything, right? And you can have your own personal Jesus, but that is not what the scripture teaches. The community walking in the Torah commandments holds one another accountable and that accountability of fellowship lets you have fellowship with Yahuwah because you are approaching him in Kedushah. Holiness, not profanity. Not profanity. It's maturity. So the Yochanite community shows the false theology of my own personal Jesus. Number two, the dam, the blood of Yahusha. His son purifies us from every sin. The light and blood coagulate into the heart of the remnant, bringing forth waters of purification. Indeed, in action, because my life and your life is supposed to be an ongoing walk of what? Purification by cleansing. Or you can do nothing and then be cleansed by fire. 
but you're all going to be cleansed. There's either a cleansing by fire and you'll turn to ashes, or there is a cleansing now by water and purification, and you will be the righteous that then tread upon the ashes of the wicked. But we're all going to be cleansed because nothing with sin can come into the presence of Yahuwah. And this is the thing. This is the biggest lie that the world tells you. You can die and it's all over. Well, I just, I just don't believe. And, you know, I'm going to die and then it's done. No. Guess what? Everybody's going to be resurrected. Even if you don't believe in the resurrection, guess what? You're going to be resurrected. You know the guy that committed suicide? Well, guess what? You thought you got out? No, you're going to be resurrected. Everybody's going to get the resurrection. That is frightening if you're not in Yahushua. Because this whole, whole, I mean, I spoke to my mother, you know, on her deathbed. Oh, I just, you know, die and it's all over with, you know, blankness. No. Welcome to the resurrection. Deal with that. That's terrifying to the heathen. But to us, it is a hope. It is the hope that lives in me. You see, his blood reflects his death on the tree, which then produced the water and blood of cleansing, did it not? Because that Roman soldier thrust in the spear, which produced that cleansing. Because that Roman, yes, was walking in the darkness. And at which time then darkness had its judgment and the light dimmed as Yahushua died. And then the glory of his resurrection, some would say, was even burnt into the burial shroud. Ooh, spooky. The shroud of Turin. Right? And that's a great debate there in itself, isn't it? We know that carbon dating's a bunch of nonsense, but still, anyway. We know that the resurrection, that light, we have darkness and we have light and we have the waters of cleansing from the one that thrust him whilst he was walking in the darkness, the Roman. So all of this comes across in the language of Yochanan. I love it. Now there's two, and now we get into the third conditional phrase which Yochanan uses to expose what these little secessionists were doing. Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. In the Greek, hamartian uk echomen, literally, if we say that we don't have sin. So the secessionists were claiming to have no sin since they had come into the knowledge of Yahushua. This is presented in an ongoing action. It's not meant to express that the secessionists think that they don't have the sin nature that's common to all men. No, this is different. You see, the King Jimmy can throw you off a little bit here because the King Jimmy inserts, of course, the grammar. But if you take the grammar, we can take the grammar out, you can see that these secessionists, they were claiming that they no longer sinned now that they were in Mashiach. To have sin is, the, is echo hamartian in the Greek, and it means 
literally to be guilty of sins. They weren't claiming to be free from the sin nature, but they were claiming that they don't sin anymore at all since knowing Yahusha. And now that they're walking with Yahuwah and Yahusha, they don't sin anymore. They're in an ongoing state of bondage, in fact, to their self-deception. And the truth is not in us. We are liars if we claim such a thing. If you walk in the darkness whilst claiming to know Yahuwah means you're a liar. Compounded with the claim that you no longer sin, you not only lie to yourself, you finally make out Yahuwah to be a liar because Yahuwah has declared all of the human race guilty of Sin. You see well, how he's communicating to them. Even the Dead Sea Scrolls reflect the same ideas with the sons of truth, the sons of light, and the sons of darkness and the evil one. Pilate asked, what is truth? Truth is only found in the word of the Father manifest through his Son because he became incarnate in Yahusha, illuminated through the action of the Ruach HaKodesh. True pious living involves the honest and ongoing acknowledgement of what? That we're sinners. That we have sin in our lives and that we are committed to seeking purification from it through action, through word, and through deed. That is the walk that you and I are in. And it's a tough one. Because it's a lot easier to pretend that sin doesn't exist and just go out and sin, right? Without even acknowledging it. But life's a lot harder once you become aware of your sin. Because now you're engaged in the battle. Now you're engaged in the battle. The amount of false piety that I experienced after this James the Just, the wrap-up teaching that we did a few weeks ago, was outrageous was actually quite dismaying. I mean, you've got all these Facebook gossip threads. Well, Facebook gossip threads, they're, they're like a dark, dank corridor. They really are. You can't honestly believe that you're pious by taking shelter in such dark, dank places of community. Really? But people do. I mean, I'm on Facebook and I'm off. I mean, I cannot imagine being in these dark, dank rooms of threads that people spend all this time talking about me and others, but it had been a lot me, and and, and, and it's this false piety, and you're like, but you're hanging out in a dark, dank, gossipy corridor? Ouch i got to get out of here. It's outrageous to me. The self-deception. The, de- the self-deception. We are supposed to go where? Just like what brother did today in worship. We're supposed to go to the confessional. Now some of you are like, Whoa, hang on a minute. But it's supposed to be a public confessional. We're not supposed to go in with this little priest the funky monk, we are supposed to go to the community public confessional. Confession of sin isn't supposed to be a private matter, but it's supposed to be a public matter. A public matter, it truly is, because then you get 
what? Somebody to pray with you? Acknowledgement of what you've done? But you can't just privately confess it with you and Yahweh. It doesn't work like that. You have to publicly confess sin. That's what Yochanan is saying with the community. And you don't just say publicly, well, I've sinned. No, no, no. What did you do? I mean, these are, these, are, these are things that we need to implement here, too, for our community to grow together. I mean, I'll be the first to do it right now, okay? I mean, I'm guilty earlier in the week. I downloaded something from iTunes. It was a TV show. I shouldn't have done. It was a television show. I don't have television. And I watched it, and I was in the third, the third show, and something popped in front of my eyes, and it really disturbed me. And I confessed right there to Yahoo, shut it off. But you know what I did? The next day, when I went out for coffee with a brother in the faith, I confessed it to him, and then I went home and I confessed it to my wife. Because I knew I needed to make public confession, because I am not going to allow darkness in my life. And you know what? I'm just going to let it out. This is what I did. This is what I saw. And it was sin. And I confess it to you. So I confessed it to a brother. And then I came home and I confessed it to my wife. And now the light is on it. And guess what? It can't hide. It can't hide. But if you don't do that, it's going to fester. It's going to fester. Three times pornography has popped up on my computer since I've been married to my wife. Three times. One time, first time, I'll do it right now because this is what we're supposed to do. Because if you don't talk about it, then there's darkness. It's a pair of shoes that I like to get every time I go to London. So I type in the name of the shoe company and guess what? Up pops this website. Because I didn't do the dash UK on the end, apparently. And I was outraged. I, I, I mean, right there, I shut it right down. And I have to go, I go right to my wife. I said, honey, this is what happened. And then two other times, same similar type of situation. Straight to my wife and say, look, honey, this is what happened. Because then the light is shining on it and we're done. I don't want that to fester. I don't want that to be hidden and have some guilty secret. No. And that is how we have to be. Confess our sins publicly, one to another. Because that is how we walk in Kedushah, holiness. And that's what we need to be doing here together as a congregation. Because it will strengthen us as we walk in holiness together. So let me continue on. I went off a little bit on a tangent there. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. If we say that we do not have sin, like the secessionists were claiming to have no sin, since they'd come into the knowledge of Yahuwah, then they are deceiving themselves. We need to walk just as Yahushua told us. And we need to confess our sins. Matthew 3, 6. And many were immersed by Yochanan, the immerser, at the Yarden River. And what did they do? They confessed their sins. There were witnesses all around. 
Witnesses all around. Mark 1.15, Yochanan the Immerser said, The time is fulfilled, and the Malchut, the kingdom of Yahuwah, is at hand. Make Teshuvah and believe in the Besorah. James chapter 5, verse 16, Confess your sins one to another and make Tefillah one for another, that you may be healed. The effectual fervent tefillot prayers of a Zadik man is powerful, accompanying much. And Maaseh Shlechim, Acts 19, 18. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their satanic deeds. We don't do this today. When I was in the church all those years, I never heard anyone confess sins. Oh, I saw many people come up and cry at the altar, right? And have an emotional experience. But I never saw somebody get down and dirty and confess what they'd been up to. But the only reason I stand before you is because my life up until 24 years old was so sick, depraved, and dark that it was so evil that finally my heart was convicted of sin and I confessed that in brokenness and then my life began to be lived and the old man died. But it all happened not through an emotional experience but through utter conviction of sin and confession. That's where this life journey started for me and I know it started there for my wife too because I saw it I testify that I saw it that I reached out and touched it and she can do the same for me you see that's powerful that's why Yochanan is saying you know it's not all happy clappy but it is confess your sins one to another strong marriage you want to have a strong marriage you confess your sins to one another You know, we're apart for 8, 10, 12 hours a day. Sometimes 16, it seems. And you know what? Sometimes, at the end of the day, my wife would say, look, this is what happened today. Sometimes she'll shoot me a text and say, look, this is what happened. And that brings us closer because then we pray for one another. And if something, if I sin and there's evil, I can't wait to get home and tell her. Because then guess what? I just feel a cleansing. Even though immediately upon sin, and I'm convicted, I, I confess and repent and pray right there to Yahweh, but I cannot wait to get home and tell my wife. And sometimes, if I can't wait the eight hours, and Brother John maybe come in, or, or another brother downtown, and you know, you know, you'll have to listen to, to what I've been up to. Right? You did it to me the other day. He came in my office. Crying, emotional, because that's what we're to do. It's powerful. I love that. I mean, that's the real faith. Look at Daidache. Daidache was the community rule in the first century. Daidache, I think I've read from this before. It's great. You can download it, on, download it online. Daidache, that was tongues right there for you. Chapter 4, verse 14. This is what it says in Daidache. In the group session, so we're going to have group sessions now. That sounds like Narcotics Anonymous. I went to that one time, by the way. I did, yeah. I, I went to Narcotics Anonymous when I lived in London. They gave me a key ring and everything. And do you know what I did right when I left? 
I went and injected a shot up heroin. I mean, really, this is, this is the kind of person I used to be. I was like, those guys are really losers, and I'm not like that. I'm going to go out and get high and go to a club. I mean, that's what Narcotics Anonymous did for me. Nothing. Because they had a 10-step program. They were all like really bad junkies and just depressed. I'm like, I got a job and everything. I'm not like that. No, that doesn't work. It's the one-step program. And that's when there's regeneration. So anyway, I I shouldn't have said that, but I did. I'm going to get in trouble with the wife. But I am thankful that the old man is dead. And some of you will look and say, I can't believe that Matthew lived that life. Yes. Yes. But he's delivered me and you from that kind of lifestyle. That is our testimony. That is our testimony. And that is powerful. That's the conviction that's in me. And I mourn the loss of all those years. And all this mumbo-jumbo, 12-step programs have a key ring. No, conviction of sin is immediately what brought me to my knees. That's it. That's the answer. That is the answer for all of us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we don't publicly confess our sins, we won't get this forgiveness and we won't get the purification. Public confession is what brings divine forgiveness and purification. And you wonder why so many people are banging their head up against a brick wall with the same old sins in their life. I just can't get delivered from this sin. Have you confessed it publicly? Or are you just like on this one-to-one personal trip with Jesus in your closet and nobody else knows what you're up to? You've got to hate what you're doing and publicly confess it so that you can be held accountable. And then it's dead. Then it's gone. You kill it. You kill the sin. You slay it. Somebody gave the analogy once of, you know, it's like putting a lamb up on the altar and getting your pen knife out and nicking the lamb. Oh, yes, I'm going to slay this lamb. And then you walk away and the lamb gets off of the altar and walks back into your life. No, but you have got to kill that sin, lay it down as a sacrifice so it's dead, so it is burned up to ashes and carried outside of the gates, right? And that's it. Then you're delivered and you can really be like, I'm delivered. Then you can have the confidence to stand up before people and confess the kind of person that you used to be because you know that it is dead, gone, delivered. Amazing, amazing. Now, our forgiveness, though, and our purification, it has to be rooted in Yahweh. It can't be rooted in these programs that are offered by men because it just doesn't work. It truly doesn't. It's all rooted in his love, in his attributes, which, of course, we find in um, Shemot, Exodus, chapter 34. And we pray this, don't we, Moshe, all the time. Yahuwah, Yahuwah Elohim, merciful, gracious, and long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, who extends mercy to thousands, forgiver of iniquity, transgression, and sin, who by no means clears the guilty, 
but he visits the sins of the fathers upon the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And then we always say, Yahweh, if we have found mercy in your sight, we ask that you would pour out your rachamin, your mercy upon us. Because we don't want that sin going down to our children and to the next generation. But we, we acknowledge and confess that this is who Yahweh is. He isn't just love. He will visit the iniquity upon the children's children unless you find mercy in his sight. And that is only found through the Yochanan community said, Yahusha, the son manifest that they touched, they heard, they saw, and they witnessed too. This is amazing. I'm not going to end there because if you're paying attention, I'm not going to leave you hanging till next week because I've left you hanging right now. How many of you can understand that I've left you hanging? Because there are no King Jimmy chapters, right? Right? And those of you that are very alert will acknowledge that we have some tension going on right now between Scripture because there's this King Jimmy chapter 2 verse 1 that is in tension, that is in angst with the preceding verses. So I'll read chapter 2 verse 1 to you. My dear children, I write these things literally to you that you will not sin. Do you see the tension? Because we've already acknowledged what? The, secess- the secessionists were saying that they had no sin. And Yochanan is saying that we do have sin. But now there's this angst going on. Is he contradicting himself? Well, I could leave it till next week, but I'm not going to. My dear children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. I mean, chapter 2, verse 1 causes much confusion. Who's ever been told? I know I've been told this. But who's ever been told by someone themselves? Do you realize that we really have the ability not to sin ever again in Messiah? I've been told that as someone was choking down a bacon rind at Denny's after church. I mean, I have. Do you realize? (coughs) As they're choking down a bacon rind at Denny's after church, that we have the ability never to sin in Messiah. And I'm like, yeah, Yeah, okay. Have you, I mean, am I the only one there? I'm feeling alone up here. I'm feeling alone up here. Surely, Yochanan isn't now adopting the position of the secessionists, is he? But it does appear that he's all of a sudden switched, doesn't he? Is he now adopting the position of the secessionists? Because he's just spent the whole chapter 1 exposing and condemning them. Look at chapter 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Well, now match that up with, My dear children, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. Do you see the tension? Some would say the contradiction. But there is no contradiction. But we can't skim over this. We have to acknowledge there is a tension within the text. What is going on? How do we interpret this verse? And what do we say? Surely, 
there's something more going on here. The these things refers to the situations projected either for commendation or condemnation. If you look at chapter 1, verse 6 through 10, you'll see that if we say, if we walk, if we say, if we confess, if we say verses. Remember those verses? That's what he's talking about. He's referencing these verses because these verses, if we pay attention to the, if we say, if we walk, if we say, if we confess, if we say verses, if we pay attention to those verses, they will stiffen our resolve and our resistance to sin, will they not? And that is what he's referencing. Yochanan is writing these things in context of verses 6 through 10 so that the community will not fall in with the secessionists and claim that they too no longer sin. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. The latter part of chapter 2 verse 1 actually confirms this interpretation because Yochanan recognizes the possibility of the community sinning, does he not? Look, but if anyone sins, we have an intercessor with Abba, Yahusha Hamashiach HaZadik. And he himself is the Keporah, the offerings for our sins. So we can see then that this truly teaches us that we have to acknowledge that we do sin, but we are not to walk in the way of the successionists that say that, no, we never sin. Ultimately, we have to allow Yahusha to judge our hearts. I mean, this book, if you really grasp hold of what's being taught, this book takes the death horns and it wrestles death by the horns into total submission. What with? With the doctrine of the incarnation, eternal life in Messiah. And that's what I love. It's truly freedom in righteousness. But we must understand his identity. We must understand Yahushua's mission. And we've got to be faithful witnesses, enabling us to nurture in fellowship in the body of Messiah together. Because by you and I sharing our experience of a common yet transcendent bond in Yahusha, this is the community of the saints that we see in this day. And it begins at Passover, and it culminates with the community of the saints coming together at Sukkot. Because we are to be bound in the Son with Yahuwah, one and another. Not unity for unity's sake. I can't stand that. Oh, well, brother, you can't say that. I mean, you've got to think of unity. I mean, don't we get that all the time? Oh, Matthew's really, really got some disunity going on here. Yes, let's, uh, let's unify around Mishnah Torah, Talmud, no, that's unity for unity's sake. You can't unify around those things. You have to unify around the word of Yahweh. Unity for unity's sake, not drawing back from exposing frauds, not being silenced by whisperers and threats emanating from the dark, dank corridors of social media. You see, people are waking up. 
They're waking up all over the nation and all over the world, and that's why we continue to draw together. And as Yochanan communicated to his community, we communicate to the community of Yahusha that we draw together by acknowledging that we are the priesthood, we are the community, and in that priesthood community, there must be a public confession of sin because we have to allow Yahusha to judge our hearts. And that's what I want to teach Moshe sitting right up front here. I'm sure that's what you want to teach Judah sitting right up front here. We have to judge our hearts. Because when we can judge our hearts, then we know that we are walking in community with one another and Yahushua. Amen. Amen. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Questions, comments, anybody? All quiet in the Western Front? Steve? Good. All right. I think it's in the book of James where it says, confess your faults to one another, which reminds me in the teachings of our Lord, he would say, if you are praying to God, you probably know where it's at. And it says, and you're you're offering, uh, you can fill me in with these words. So, And it says, and you remember an ought against your brother, Go, go to, to him first yes. and get the thing reconciled. Exactly. Then come back. Exactly. And, and it was likewise vice versa. If they remember, they come and make it right. And so, and then we see, like if you confess, this is the public thing I see here. One was just one-to-one basis. He didn't go off to tell everybody else, but he went to that brother. He did wrong song too and got it right. The other one is a public confession. If you confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father and the angels. And if you deny me, I will deny you before the Father and the angels. So you see a confession before men on that. Exactly. Public confession. Yeah. And then there's this other one, which was in, I think, of Matthew 16 where this, he, this brother was confronted and it was a, of a similar church matter how to deal with somebody. And it says, if you see this brother is doing this wrong song, you go to him and confront him. And if he don't listen to you, bring another. And if he don't listen to you, bring it to the church, you know, the assembly. And then you deal as a body on this person. So it wasn't a, even on that, it was not a public thing. He was trying to get this brother to get, make his, what he was doing right. But he wouldn't. And then brought another two. And then before the congregation, he would have an example of this teaching within 1 Corinthians uh, 3 to 5, some of that chapters. Yeah, again, it's, we, have to, we have to counter the culture because the culture, especially over here in America, it's such a like, oh, it's very personal and it's, it's very, you know... I mean, our whole social media and the way that we interact on the phones and everything now, it's all very private. And people can get, you know... They, they live a very private life, really, and the public persona 
is not necessarily match the private. But in the Yokonite community and in our community, it has to match. You know? It has to match. My, my wife, before I came out, she's like, well, that's showing a little bit of skin. I mean, that might be all right for Johnny Matthews, but maybe not for Torah to the tribes. And I'm like, I, I am what I am. I'm the same there as I am here. Skin it is. You know? And with all this, can you give me a clear statements within the Scripture that we publicly you know, announce our sins? Because I can see there's a lack of wisdom on my part if I went to. I don't put my trust in people, not even the believers. Because there's a lot of gossip I found in believers. Oh, for and sure. And it can do great harm. Yes. You know. So I just stick to what I know that I see clearly within the scriptures. Well, it's always, you know, that's what you, you want to stick to. You can't that way and get in trouble. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, one more announcement. Um, there's also a Sukkot gathering in Georgia. Mr. Wally Bergen will be hosting that. He wants to make sure we announce that. Yeah, we have and, a Sukkot with Wally Bergen in Georgia that Wally's And that'll holding. be on, on Eventbrite. Yes, hosting. So that's exciting. In the back, we have another question. We do have a question, and I think it's a, a good question, and you can take a minute or two. And that is, um, what, what do you say to a brother who says the, the Brit... Hadashah is not true. Well, I, I, would, I would say, well, we first, all, first and foremost pray for that brother, but we have to look at the preponderance of evidence. The evidence not only of eyewitness testimony, but also of testimony of other historical writers that weren't even believers that are referenced from the 1st through to the 4th century that spoke about it that weren't even believers, and the manuscriptural evidence. There is more documentation and witness testimony that Yahushua walked on earth than there is anything else on this planet in written form, documented. I mean, people can believe that, you know, um, William Shakespeare um, wrote Shakespeare. But there's more evidence that Yochanan wrote the epistles of Yochanan than there is William Shakespeare wrote Shakespeare. But you have no problem attributing Shakespeare to Shakespeare. Yet you're going to take issue that the writers of the Gospels wrote the Gospels. It's asinine when you actually look at the evidence of Scripture. You've got close to 6,000 manuscripts that have survived 2,000 years, some of them, and they're at 96.8% accuracy within the variant form. I mean, it's about that number. I could be... a little point of a percent or a percent off, but it is extremely high. And that's what I'm saying. So, you know, when these people come up and start, it's like, let's talk about Homer. Let's talk about uh, all of that. No problem with that, right? You see, it's crazy to me. But, yes, question there in the back. You made up a point with uh, pork. 
and Mark Biltz has taught on this, is there a difference between being unclean and sin? Eating pork a sin or just being unclean as being sanctified, holy, set apart? Because the word um, uh, tohor, clean, is not the word that uh, kosher, that everybody uses, but that's not even a biblical word. So when somebody's eating pork, unknowledgeably, and uh, we kind of get a haughty laughter as a Hebrew roots movement, oh, they're eating pork, but they don't know. Um, I mean, what it does say to him who knows it is sin, it is sin, but we are still held accountable by the definition of sin, and the definition of sin is Torah, and rebellion to, against the commandments of Yahuwah would be sin. So would I say that eating pork is sin? I would say yes, it is sin, and it puts you in an unclean state because that's what sin does. So sin is the action, and it puts you in a state. That would be my answer. We should then cry and, and, and be sorry for the people that don't know, not, not laugh like we have something over them. Exactly, yes, because you'll never, ever be able to. I mean, my goodness, we've, we've all been Hellenized, like I said last week, and uh, if we grew up in the culture, then most of us did not have a Kadosh diet. And some of us more than others, you know. So, yes, like the brother catfish up front here. Louisiana catfish here. You you need to trim your whiskers. So, anyway. (laughs) But you have been delivered. Hallelujah. And you have confessed. He publicly, brother, publicly confessed last week to eating. What did you say? Possum, right? That's wrong. I don't much. I don't care how much garlic butter you put on possum. So yes, we can laugh at him because he's right here. But you're right, brother. Yeah, I mean, you did confessed it whilst we were having a kosher barbecue, no less. Yes. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. We thank you, Abba, for the fellowship of the community. We thank you for your word. And Abba, I thank you for election. Because I stand before you and I'm amazed that you would choose this piece of clay, Abba, and that you, as the potter, could take me out of Narcotics Anonymous and some place like that and bring me into the congregation of the righteous. That is a miracle. (laughs) That is a miracle. And you shall testify before men my name. And I get to do that each and every day as you do. What an honor. Yahuwah, Baruch Habar HaBashem Yahuwah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahuwah. We serve an awesome, awesome Yahuwah, don't we? Amen. Let our lives be that light. Let it be a light. Amen.